I'm your host, Michael, and this episode, Chad Law is joining me. How's it going, Chad? Good. How are you, man? How I am doing famous? well. I feel very old, though. It's not. I said 20th anniversary. I'm at the 30th anniversary. Now I feel older. <laughs> I, 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 I actually think you said 30th. I Did think I? you said 30th. Okay. Um, I think so. I think so. This is an episode we've been trying to do actually for a little while, but just things didn't work out. So I, I tried to release it on the day of Young Guns coming out, but that was last week. You're just going to have to deal with it, people. But as time, you know, you discover this episode will be after the fact anyway. Um, we're, yeah, well, and plus we're still in the same year, so yeah. we're fine. I've had a couple where we get so delayed that I'm like, well, uh, we're about six months behind in this episode. Sorry. <laughs> but... Um, what is the first experience that you had with Young Guns? Did you get to see it in the theaters? I did. I, I don't want to date myself too uh, too badly here, okay? Um, but I was a very impressionistic young boy, and uh, my dad took my brother and I uh, to see this movie, the first Western I'd ever seen, right? Um, and I, uh, you know, I remember the credit sequence, oddly. Like, I was at, I was at the Muncie Mall. You know Muncie, Indiana. You're from Indiana, originally. Yeah. Um, I was at the Muncie Mall, and they, you know, it was one of those little theaters where they just play three movies, uh, which I don't even know if those exist very much anymore. Now it's like either twelve movies or bus. Yeah, it's uh, weird. Um, yeah, they play. I live in a town of thirty-eight thousand people, and there's no movie theater here. You have to drive into downtown Salem in order to get to the one of only two theaters, which is weird because I feel like oh, wow. back in the day, you used to find theaters everywhere. Like throughout Fort Wayne, I could remember like every single neighborhood had a movie theater that you had like two or three screens. Now it's the 12 screen or nothing. Yeah, well, it's like, I, mean, I remember why, not to get off track, but I remember watching um, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4 specifically in Fort Wayne. And it was one of, it was actually, uh, you know, it was a, it was a small theater. Um but it was a very lively theater. It was a there was a lot of um, lively people there going, oh, Freddie's coming! Da 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 da. I had a blast there. <laughs> I, like my only regret of childhood is kind of like not watching more movies in Fort Wayne. Yeah, I, I don't know why this 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 screening was so lively, but it was. No, it's it was always like, oh, that turn way. Turn your ass around. Turn it's, your ass around. If you see yeah. it, so when I, when I moved from Fort Wayne to Huntington, um, which is a half hour away, like a farm town. Um, hardly any yeah. horror movies played there at all. It was really rare, and nobody would get excited. They went, you know, it wasn't like a party. So when I got older and I started driving, is I would drive back to Fort Wayne purposely to see all the horror movies. And I would say Scream was the best time I ever had watching a movie that totally packed. Everybody was just like hooting right. and hollering and, and yelling at the screen. It was like a gospel revival, but in horror movie theater. <laughs> Well, well, that, yeah, no, that's that's exactly how I felt when I watched uh, Elm Street Four, and you know, people are always like, "Why are you so fond of Elm Street 4? And I'm like, "I don't know why." I mean, I know, first of all, it was the first Elm Street I'd seen, and you know, just to go with my age, I, you know, I didn't see one, two, and three. I've seen them now, you know, of course, and after four, and became a fan of those as well. But like, four was like my introduction to Freddy Krueger, but it also was like such a just a great screening of that film. Um, it's sort of like, you know, uh, Indiana Jones, you know, people are like, oh, the first one's the best. And I'm like, I'm not saying it isn't, but my introduction to Indiana Jones was Temple of Doom. So therefore, to me, most people's least favorite, minus the last one, Crystal Skull, you know, Temple of Doom's still my favorite indie because that's how I met him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it is what it is. But the screening at Fort Wayne, long story short, totally off subject. Uh, I, it was a blast. Well, that's from 88, so that's my segue back into Young Guns. <laughs> um, okay, okay. 
Yeah, my first time. Well, that's, I, that's, yeah, so that was the same year. Yeah, I, I believe I found it on video, but my memory of it most vividly is when it premiered on Fox. Um, back when Fox was a scrappy little network trying to aim at a younger audience. And it was right before, like the week before Young Guns 2 was released in theaters. And that's the one that I remember the most. And I, the one thing that I remember that kind of, I guess, traumatized me, which is weird since I was 11, so it shouldn't have, is the fast forwarding to the final shootout is how insanely brutal it was. And the slow-mo, I don't think I'd ever really, I don't know how I couldn't have, but witnessed slow-mo and that, that taking the moment of death. Well, and I was just like, oh, God, I feel terrible. This is a good movie, but that fine the finality just like oh they're dead dead. You know you know you know you know what's funny is like I mean you say I've never really given this much thought, but I, I you know I don't know when I first experienced slow mo or anything like that, but I do know that for whatever reason, Young Guns and its sequel Young Guns Two, the deaths weighed heavily on me in a way that other movies had not yet accomplished. I'm not saying they hadn't accomplished a period, just movies that I had seen, right? Um, death, I, I actually cared when people died. Like, oh, shit, they got Vermont Maroney? Oh, shit. You know, Young Guns 2 was the same way for me. Like, you know, um, particularly because they were killing, in Young Guns 2, they were killing off characters that lived through the first movie. Even. So it was like, fuck, Chavez. You know, um, Doc, whatever. Um, but I do remember that movie being the first time I was kind of like, you know, cared. I don't want to say traumatized, but like cared about movie deaths, you know, yeah. on screen. I, before this, I had seen Taps, and I remember the death of those children had really weighed in on me. But um, you didn't spend a lot of time with most of those characters. Young Guns, you know, you spend an hour and a half with them getting to know them. Even Dirty, was it Dirty Steve? Um Dermont. Dermont, yeah. Yeah, his character, you know, he's not even that likable, especially in the beginning of the movie. But you become so used well, to him. It's like that friend that you have, I mean, that you kind of like, you hang out with, but you're not like really close with them, but we he's all, we gone. All, we, we, all, we all have a dirty Steve. Um, mine's named Lobo. I'm just kidding. Sorry, Lobo. <laughs> um, but uh, we all have a dirty Steve, you know? Like, they, 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 they seem like they're not, you know, overly likable, and yet... They really are, and you really like them, and they, you know, they may say crazy things, but they don't really, you know, you know, they don't really. I think Dirty Steve is a sympathetic character, especially when he brings the horses back, you know. That's right. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, remember at the end he brings the horses. You know, he, yeah. he like tries to save everybody and goes down doing it. Yeah, it's uh, I think it it's like hurts. his redemptive moment. Yeah, that's the weird thing is that somehow his death hurts more than Charlie's death, even though you know he was the sweet character. He was, I don't know, he almost felt like he was doomed from the very beginning. Especially the minute he got well, married, he, you're like, well, yeah, there I we mean, go, he's done. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I mean, and, and Young Guns kind of kept that motif, right? With, like, in the not to talk too much about the sequel, which I feel is, is honestly, you know, a, a constant debate amongst me and my peers and friends is, you know, which is better, Young Guns and Young Guns 2. And I think they're both great. I think they work great with each other, okay? Um, but Balthazar Getty takes over the, uh, you know, the Casey Zimaska role, he's doomed from the start. You know, yeah, he's just the little kid who wants to wants to join the you know the Billy the Kid gang, and you know, of course he dies. Oh, I um, think I think that doesn't make it any less powerful. In some no, um, what I think the difference, major differences between part one and part two, is that part one was truly just an independent film. You know, eleven million dollar budget. Yes. It's Morgan Creek's first production. 
it looks different. You can tell the the quality of filmmaking is a little bit, you know, tighter, almost as if yeah, it was one, more of a one's a studio film, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, the second one, of course, is still Morgan Creek, you know, making it, but they had Warner Brothers now like footing a lot of the bill. The budget was and almost they had this fresh new face from Gleaming the Cube, oh, yeah, you know. Um, I'm a huge. And don't get me started on my Christian Slater. Yeah, I'm a love. huge Christian um, Slater fan, and, and it's it's this is one of those pivotal roles. Like I had seen him in The Wizard. I had not seen Gleaming the Cube yet, but I had seen The Wizard, and I was like, hey, that's the older brother from that movie. He was really cool in that film, and you know, and then in yeah. Young Guns Two, he to me almost seems as important as Emilio Estevez is in the second movie. Well, I have a joke going on. You know, William Coffin, who I've made a bunch of movies with, um, Daylight's End plug uh i'm getting ready to do another movie but we have a joke going on that he's you know billy the kid and, and i'm arkansas dave rudabach <laughs> you have heard of me you know um but anyway um yeah no i, I you know i loved uh I, I was a i was a christian slater fan going into young guns too i remember I, back in those days you didn't read things online okay like you didn't you didn't know movie news before you walked into the theater and saw billboards or a trailer and I remember I walked into the Northwest Plaza uh, in Muncie, Indiana, and there was a billboard of Young Guns 2. And back then, I didn't even know they were making a Young Guns 2, okay? <laughs> like, this was – this was you found out by going into the theater. Now everybody knows everything. Um, but I see this big billboard cutout of Young Guns 2, which is the poster uh, – it's a cutout of the poster I still have in my house. But it's, you know, Lou Diamond Phillips, Keeper Sell, and Milo Estevez back, and then, um, you know – Christian Slater's on there. Uh, who else is on there? Alan Ruck, I guess. Yep. Um, but I remember going, holy shit, there's a sequel to Young Guns and fucking Christian Slater from Heathers and Gleaming the Cube is in this. And I'd already become a Christian Slater friend from, well, from The Wizard. Yeah, from The Wizard, Gleaming the Cube, and Heathers. And I was like, the only thing they could do to make me more excited for a Young Guns sequel is put fucking Christian Slater in it. <laughs> <laughs> and here he is on the poster. But yeah, that was how I found out about it. And then I went to the movie. I, I couldn't tell you what movie I was seeing. But then I went into the movie theater to see whatever we were seeing. And sure enough, there was a trailer. And, you know, me and my brother came out of the movie talking about the trailer and pretending to shoot each other. And, you know, whatever. Good time. Innocent times. It's weird. I was looking up some of the facts. I've never taken notes on an episode before, but I felt this was kind of important. I usually wing it. And then after the episode's over, I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot to say that. Um, they tried to bring Charlie Sheen back for the sequel. Like, the studio was pushing hard for it, and, and John Fusco was like, uh, n no, uh, clearly dead in yeah. the first half of Young Guns. Yeah, well, it would have been annoying. if I, I have no idea how they would have done that. I mean, you know, put him in a beard and had him play Pat Garrett. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm glad they didn't do anything. The, the funny thing is, is, okay, so there's a bit of a backstory that I have as a screenwriter, you know, um, one of the first projects that I started writing seriously was, as much as I love Young Guns, it's, it's not, it's a Cliff Notes version of the history, okay? Um, which is what makes it entertaining, but one of my whole things was always to tell the true story. I still want to do this someday, so don't get me wrong. Like, you, you may one day see me do a Billy the Kid epic, okay? I hope so. Well, what about as a um, series? Like as a television series, like for AMC or something. Well, I would love, yeah, no, I would love to do it as a series. Tell Fox to call me um, <laughs> or whoever, you know. Um, but 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 like I'm I'm sort of like a, I became like a you know a self-taught aficionado on the Lincoln County War, 
and the you know the part that Billy the Kid played in because a lot of people know Billy the Kid history, but they're not exactly Lincoln County aficionados. And what I found interesting was how big of a piece he was in that, but also not the guy, right? Like he was sort of a sidestep character who existed outside of the Lincoln County War, but the Lincoln County War was like Young Guns. Young Guns, the original, has a has a great way of um, making it seem so uncomplicated. It was a very complicated situation when you read about it historically. But uh, the, the brilliant, in a sense, way that Young Guns has of making it seem uncomplicated is by Jack Collins going, you have a beef it, outfit in a store? I have a beef outfit in a store. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I mean, th- that is at its core sort of how it originated and how it started. But like... It's a lot more complicated, as most wars are, right? You know, or most conflicts, or you know, anything. It's not like I opened a Hardee's and you opened a McDonald's down the street, and I got to shut you down, you know. But that's the way the uh, young guns would have it portrayed, right? Um, but yeah, you know, I hope to. I, I do think there's some brilliance in the way that they shortened and sweetened it, but at the same time, to a lot of the people during that time, Billy wasn't the leader of the gang, right? Like historically he kind of became the person who branched out of it obviously more than you know dick Ritchie or people we wouldn't know um if not for young guns um but it wasn't at the time you know everybody wasn't looking to billy for the answers you know like in young guns too for example right yeah now, it's, it's, he becomes like outlaws and they did try to ride to the border but i'm pretty convinced that billy and these people didn't know how famous they were yeah, I, I, like that, I that line, I'll make you famous, known. he probably didn't even know for a while. Right, right, right. They, well, and that's what I'm saying about young guys. I mean, I, I know they knew there was some notoriety with them and, you know, whatnot, but I'm not convinced that, like, Billy was convinced he was the man. And, and you know, there, there's, I mean, he was definitely cocky in real life. He was definitely, you know, I'm just not convinced it was um, quite the same as, you know, the movie would have you. The simplified version of the movie would have you believe. I'd love to do it as, you know, an epic. You know what I'd like to do it as? I'd love to do the Lincoln County War as an epic miniseries, sort of like, um, like Costner and Bill Paxton did. You know, uh, with the Hatfields and McCoys. Yeah, uh, I, I, that'd be great. Wasn't there one? I want to say like 15 years ago with Tom Berenger. Was that a different County War? Or, no, that was Johnson County War. Never mind. Forgot what I just said. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did, but, but Tom Berenger is in. Uh, you know, uh, he's in the Costner one. Oh, right, 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 right. I've heard about that. that, too. Yeah. Um, he, won his, he won his Emmy for that, yeah. They're talking about doing a Young Guns uh, TV series. Um, Morgan Creek, I guess they've hit harder times. They sold most of their catalog off to Shock oh, yeah. Factory, and they're using the yeah, money from had, that sale yeah. to do TV pilots, and I don't know if that's going to work. It's a terrible idea. I, I hope it works out for them. Um, call me. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, we technically had... I have a friend, Ken, who insists that the TV show Young Riders was spun off from Young Guns, and I keep going, no, different company, different characters, not well, the same. Yeah, I, yeah. well, 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 uh, he's saying spun off. Does he mean rip off? No, I think he literally means he, it's spun off from those characters, and I'm like, no, you got this wrong. I don't want to get into an argument about this, but it's not. It's totally di- a, a similar idea, I guess, if you want to boil it down to the bare bones concept, um, but not. I'll, it's not I'll, from the same I'll settle, I, I'll settle it. It's a ripoff. It's inspired by. Yeah. It's not a spinoff. It's 
a network going, wow, Young Guns work? Okay. Well, what if we took the uh, mail delivery system and, you know, or whatever, you know, whoever. Basically, I mean, you know, look, American Outlaws is a spin-off, rip-off, rip-off of Young Guns. It just doesn't work as well. And I love Colin Farrell. Uh, and, and, you know, and there's parts of American Outlaws I like, okay? But without Young Guns, American Outlaws does not exist. No, same production company, too. Young Riders. What's that? Morgan Creek also produced American Outlaws. And I wondered if somewhere along the way, you know, after, you know, the first two Young Guns movies, well, the only two Young Guns movies, were really successful, made a lot of money. And, but, you know, two ends with Billy the Kid, you know, his story is done. And, and they're probably we're they looking can't at, do anything. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, they're probably looking at like, well, well, we still have this name here. What are we going to do with it? And I'm going to guess at some point they probably developed a script for a young Jesse James. They're probably going to call it like Young Guns, the James Gang, or something like that. And then it just been so many years yeah. that they decide just to turn to American Outlaws. Well, I, whether I, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't justify whether they were going to call it Young Guns or not. But the idea with the company was 100 percent like. Let's replicate Young Guns here, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, there's no doubt in my mind that they were trying to replicate Young Guns with Jesse. And, I mean, and in a way, it only makes logical sense. You know, we had Billy the Kid Young with all these guys. Let's do, you know, let's do Jesse James Young. The problem is, is the only thing they ha- they basically made a Jesse James, a fictional Jesse James movie. There's almost no historical accuracy to it whatsoever, and there's no. <laughs> ensemble nature to it it's like the colin farrell blow up shit show you know um which was cool because i am a big colin farrell fan and at the time that was a you know um a kind of an intro to him and a showcase for him uh-huh. who is this guy this little irishman um but but there's nobody else you i mean look i you know sorry scott connor whoever nobody else really gets a you know no but it's it's movie. also the direction uh the guy they picked i can't remember his name he did blue streak uh les mayfield les mayfield the director of encino man okay. um <laughs> he he doesn't have <laughs> the same eye as the directors of young guns do and there's only one sequence that bank, bank sequence where they're caught um you know when everybody's up on the roof or shooting down at them and they're trapped inside that bank that is the only sequence that really has any energy or fire that made the first two Young Guns movies so magical. And that's it. Just like five minutes out of a 130 minutes movie. It just, I saw the drive-in. I was really right. excited about it, and it just didn't work. It's the same thing for Texas Rangers, which is another one of those youth-inspired, clearly the Weinsteins were trying to capitalize on, not only the, um, you know, the nostalgia for Young Guns, but, you know, that was the teen pop movement, you know, around 97, 98. But it's edited to death. And a lot of the cast members they Texas chose right. have no authenticity to them. It, it's it's funny because you you know you bring up Texas Rangers. That's James. You're talking James Vanderbeek, right? Correct. Okay, I like this movie more than most people like it. I'm just going to go on record and say that. Um, is it a flawed movie? Yes. Do do I have massive problems with it? Yes. But at the same time, I think I became so desperate for what you know Young Guns used to be or. Basically, for westerns, you know, that were appealing to the masses, that I like appreciated what Texas Rangers. Even if you remember, Texas Rangers basically got buried, okay, like release-wise. Um, a Weinstein special, you know, he would put these movies together and get people excited and then let them sit and then bury them. 
you know, that kind of happened a lot. Yeah. But particularly the, Texas Rangers. I guess they were tax write-offs. Yeah, if they made too much money one year, that they would that's when they would release a, a couple bombs so they could write it off on their taxes. Yeah. Well, and Texas Rangers is, like, by no means as good as Young Guns or Young Guns 2 or... Hey, you know, I might argue, though, that Texas Rangers is a better movie than American Outlaws, okay? Oh, it is. Um, there's there's so much yeah, in there I, that I, works, but you keep feeling like this scene, like, it feels like it was supposed to be five minutes and it was trimmed down to 30 seconds. Apparently, it was 103 yeah, well, minutes it, long, and they and they took it down to, what, 89? If, if, well, it feels super trimmed, and it feels um, it feels very cliff notesy, you know, and it feels very spaghetti. It's almost going for... The funny thing is, is I think that if you would talk to Steve Miner, the director, and I don't, I've never talked to him, I don't know him, never knew him, but I would have this vibe that he was going more for a Tombstone vibe than yes. he was a Young Guns vibe. it even vibe. looks like Tombstone, the um, cinematography. Yeah, and, and, it, and in that way, it almost works, you know, like Hell's Coming With Me, or, you know, you tell him I'm coming. I mean, because you, you watch Dylan McDermott, who's a great actor that I loved, um, but watch him play the role, and it's almost like a cross between Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer and Tombstone, you know. It's almost like that's his thing that he's doing. And then James Vanderbeek is just like, you know, I actually like James Vanderbeek. I think he's a great actor. I don't think he's a great actor in this movie. No. Okay. Um, but he, he typically is a much better actor than people give him credit for. Like, I think, you know, rules of attraction proves this along. Um, well, I think originally they went to Joshua you, Jackson, and um, the studio nixed it because he wasn't a heartthrob, even though I, I'm going to go ahead and put it on that he's a better actor, more authentic. Well, and also, I mean, you know, he's kind of better looking. I'm, I'm as straight as it comes, so whoa, what do I know? But I would I would argue that, like, wasn't Pacey more of a heartthrob than, than Dawson? Yeah, because he, well, he was, like, um, more of the dark heartthrob, I think. I, and, yes, I've seen every single episode of Dawson's Creek. Don't give me any shit about it. <laughs> so, so, so have, I. have we ever talked about this? I, I used to have Dawson's Creek parties on every Wednesday. Uh, yeah. I don't know if we've talked about this, but, yeah, I've seen every episode. I watched the series from the beginning to the end. I love I'm a James Vander. I look Kevin Williamson. I'm in. Okay. Yeah. Except maybe killing yeah, Mrs. I, Tingle. Yeah, I had Dolphins Creek no. parties. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but anyway, yeah. Moving on. Back to Young Guns. We're uh, we're well into Dolphins Creek. Yeah. Sorry. Um. So yeah, the first movie. Um. Do you think was it surprising to you that Charlie Sheen, who arguably might have been the biggest name at that time? was taken out so fast. It, it seems like a strategic choice by the director to make you think that he's their leader, that he's the main star, there's no way they're going to kill him off, and they take him out a third of the way in the movie. I think that was like taking out Tom Cruise at the time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel, that would, I feel like that was an, intention, an intentionally shocking thing. Who was uh, who the old man? He was the one from Hardcastle McCormick. They played uh, Bushwick Bill or whatever. Terrence Stamp? No, no. Uh, oh, Brian Keith. Um, you know, uh, playing that like uh, Hills. You know, he was like a, an assassin, but he was kind of like a hill person. Um, I thought that was a really brilliant choice for just like a really short scene. Like, of course, these young kids, they're going to be faster and smarter. They're going to take him out. And they were thrown off by his experience. Which one? Which role are we talking about? We're talking, we're talking in the very first movie when they're at the house and they're eating dinner and then someone's coming up the hill. And he's like that weird bounty hunter guy who looks like he's been in the woods way too long. And he ends up going into uh -huh. the outhouse and he's the one who shoots uh, Charlie Sheen and then they just end up mowing him down inside the outhouse. You're talking Brushy Bill Roberts. Thank right? you. I couldn't remember. Bushwick Bill I think is a rapper. I don't <laughs> know where I got that from. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. You're thinking Bushwick Bill. Uh, <laughs> from Ghetto Boys. <laughs> Editing that you're, you're out. Crossing your ghetto boys and, you're, you're crossing your Ghetto Boys and your Young Guns here. Um, but uh, it happens. I get it. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, okay. Brushing Bill Robbins. Okay, moving on. The, um, speaking of rap, uh, the fact that Charlie's lines from Young Guns were used in Regulate, and we heard it over and over on the radio, kind of like cemented its yeah. cult status. Well, well, I mean, <laughs> wait, you're talking Warren G now, right? Yeah. Um, well, I, th- I think I would, go, I would go on and say that like Young Guns is a movie that didn't intend to be, didn't know that it would be in the zeitgeist of not only rap, just, you know, pop culture in general. I don't think it was, like, aware of this. I think this is how this happens, though. <coughs> it just ended up being... It just ended up happening, right? Like, you know, regulators, bound up. Or, you know, did you know pigs are as smart as dogs? I mean, I've actually, like, stolen that line. <laughs> in scripts and, you know, things where it's like, you know... Um, we're in the spirit world, asshole. They can't see us. If I had a dollar for every drunk friend that you know I've been around who said you know shit like that, Young Guns is just something that ended up in popular culture. But I think it's intent. I, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Like I don't know that it intended to do that. I think it was just being a movie. Right. Well, I mean, I. I feel like it must have been a one-off. I mean, as far as Morgan Creek knew, they weren't going to ever have a second movie. You know, this is maybe oh, like. I don't look, think they intended to make a sequel at all, or they wouldn't have told us what happened to Billy the Kid. Right. Know? And uh, and, you know, and these people in the narration of it. You know, um, I have a super funny story. I can't remember if I ever told you this. Maybe I posted this online. But when I was a kid, um, speaking of the narration, you know how uh, you know it's Kieber Sutherland doing the narration, and he's talking about Chavez. You know how when you're a kid, you don't really. You don't really understand or hear most things thoroughly, but you just go, okay, it is what it is. Maybe I'm a kid and I don't understand. Um, he used to say Chavez um, changed his name. He, well, what he says is Chavez changed his name and took work on a fruit ranch, okay? I used to think he said Chavez changed his name into a cork on a fruit ranch. <laughs> and I accepted it for like 10 years. And I was like, wow, that's just weird, but okay, Chavez, you crazy man in real life. You know, and I was like, so like, you know, it wasn't until I started researching for myself, you know, Lincoln County War, whatever, you know, stuff that I was trying to write and do, that I was like, okay, now where and why did did Chavez change his name into a cork on a fruit ranch? And then I realized that he changed his name and took work on a fruit ranch, and I was like, wow, I feel like the dumbest dude on the planet for like, <laughs> 10 years, like, I literally believe that Chavez changed his name. I thought that's what they were telling me, was he changed his name into a cork yeah. on a food ranch. Okay. But anyway, yeah, me and my brother both thought that uh, growing up. Wow. And we, we would laugh about it, like, oh, Chavez changed his name to something stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And looking back on it, I'm like, wow. Like, how, how and why would you think that? Idiot. But anyway, it's, um... this is true. I didn't know this until I had read an interview with Alan Ruck, is that Lou Diamond Phillips nearly died on the second film. Uh, somehow he fell I off his that, horse yeah. when less of his gun came off, and he his neck somehow got wrapped around or something like that on one of the harnesses, and 
he was dragged like constantly by his foot and then just slipped out thankfully but he like shattered his arm his kneecap and that's why arkansas dave rudabaugh shoves a knife through chavez's arm which i never truly understood why they would make that choice now i do right they were trying to justify his arm wound or i mean his injury yeah uh, which is awesome and we, we would have been denied years of Lou Diamond Phillips' work if he had died. That would have been horribly tragic. Right. Well, you know, yeah, I know. And, and you can ask William Coffin or any of my regular collaborators. Um, the fact that I haven't made a movie with Lou Diamond Phillips yet pains me. Oh. Um, and he's on the list, okay? Yeah. Like, don't be surprised when you're like, oh, Chad has a new movie coming out and Lou Diamond Phillips is in it. I only am waiting and wishing for this day to come because... Um, Luton Phillips is a great fucking actor. I mean, he is. I, he should know, have been huge after this. Have like you seen it. the first Power? He's great in that movie. The first Power. I mean, you know, Denzel copied off this. You know, um, uh, with Fallen. Um, you know, uh, see the big hit. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Uh, see, see, uh, see, see even Courage Under Fire with Denzel, which with Luton Phillips in a supporting role. Um, see Luton Phillips in pretty much anything. Even if the movie's shitty, Ludon Phillips is not. Yeah, it's what I've discovered uh, is that if you're a good actor and you do your work and you don't phone it in, even if you're in some terrible, terrible stuff, someone's going to remember that you gave it your all and they'll bring you back. Look, somehow Michael Pere still has a career where he pops up in theatrical releases from time to time. I just made a movie with Michael Pere right now. I mean, in July. You yeah. Know? Um, just did that. Robert Forster. Uh, Eddie and the Cruisers. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it's like Michael Bay, you know, I think back of, like, Eddie and the Cruisers and uh, Streets of Fire. I'm like, fuck, this guy's awesome. And then, you know, you see him in, you see him in movies, and, yeah, I mean, he's, he's still, you know, no, no matter what the movie is, whether it's Uwe Boll, it's like Michael Perrier is the good spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that's true of, like, Lou Diamond Phillips. Like, Lou Diamond Phillips did a shark. But I actually think this movie's, have you ever seen Redwater? Uh, no, I haven't. But I know of it. It, 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 it. It's an Academy Award-winning cast, including Ludo and Phillips, Coolio, and uh, <laughs> Christian Swanson. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's a shark movie about a shark in Louisiana, and I really like the movie. Like, I literally... Um, uh, first of all, I have an affinity for shark movies. Um, I like them. Did you go see Meg? Automatically, I'm... I did. I did. Of course I did. Um, if there's a shark movie, I'm going to see it. And... The, the funny thing about Redwater is, like, you know, is it a good movie? No. It has a shark in it, and it has Blue Diamond giving it his all. And it's fun. So, ultimately, I like the movie. But I buy the movie, and I've seen, you know, I've probably seen Redwater more than most people. <laughs> most people watch it once and go, man, that's, okay. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? It's, it's like an Anaconda for me. You know you, you know what I mean, Anaconda. Oh, the first two. Movie. The first two Anacondas are but great. Those movie. TV movie ones now. <laughs> yeah, they're not great. You know what I'm saying. They're not great, but they're great. Well, uh, yeah, what do we say? Like, when I say greats, I mean that they're entertaining trash. Highly entertaining trash. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Baby Bird. Baby Bird. John Voight. Uh, <laughs> they're great. I mean, they are great, you know, but they're but they're not great. But they're great. Um <laughs> And I think that's how I look at Redwater. The only difference is, is like, you know, you have a movie like um, Anaconda, which is a studio movie that has that to fall back on. And a movie like Redwater doesn't. It only has Lou Diamond Phillips and Coolio and Christy Swanson. Uh, but really, Lou Diamond Phillips to fall back on. Um, Lou Diamond Phillips and a shark in Louisiana waters. And, like, somehow I'm like, this is a good 
not good, good movie. <laughs> I think the only you know. curse that a movie has is being boring. I have seen some Academy Award nominated films I could not finish because they were so dull. I like well, some trashy films. I have this weird affection for Italian ripoff movies of successful American films during the 80s. I like those. Yeah, and yep. they're not good, but they're good because they're not boring. They're weird. Well, There's something weird about the Italian cinema. Oh. They had a, an affinity for oddball behavior, and their acting is just off the charts strange, and I love it. Ultimately, you know, I think it depends on what you want out of a film. Do you want substance? Do you want entertainment? Do you want something? The whole, you know, and I, and I, for me, there are different movies for different emotions, different feelings, different moods. Okay, like I can watch a movie like, you know, um, what won the Academy Award last year? I'm trying to even think. Um, uh, the fish movie, the the fish fucker movie, um, Shape of Water. <laughs> the what? Which one? The Shape of Water. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, that's a movie that I really like, but I was slightly bored in it. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Um, now, another movie that... Uh, yeah, let's, let's talk Mystic River. Mystic River won Best Picture, right? Didn't it? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Okay. I love Mystic River. It's a great detective movie. It has substance. It has a great Sean Penn performance. Now, I also like Red Water. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because it's not Mystic River. Um... And it's not asking the same things from me. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, like, it's a. What well, I um, always equate. Well, I think I stole the line from Brad Pitt: "Is there is a time and a place for everything." Yes. Yes. Um, what what Brad Pitt line is that? That's from a movie. Yeah, um, and I can't remember what it was from, but I know he said it. He says it very calmly. He's like, well, uh, "There is a time and a place for I can everything." See, I, yeah, I can Her. see it in my mind. But okay, let's let's look at you know you bring up Brad Pitt and I start thinking Interview with the Vampire and, and Queen of the Dam. Okay, Interview with the Vampire is the better movie. Okay, I still, admittedly, like Queen of the Damned. Yeah. Now, do I think that Queen of the Damned is the movie that Interview with the Vampire is? Absolutely not. One has Christian Slater, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Antonio Banderas, Stephen Ray. One's one's a great. You know, kind of classic film that will stand the test of time. Queen of the Dam definitely doesn't stand the test of time. It even has, you know, a Limp Biscuit type soundtrack. Um, <laughs> well, it's also hampered by the but, fact but that she could... died right before production was even finished. So they had to somehow patch that movie together. That that hampers it a little bit, but right. it's also it's a popcorn film, and I don't think it was ever intended to be anything but a popcorn film. Yeah, I don't think it was ever intended to be. Interview with a Vampire. Interview with a Vampire is sort of like a, you know, it's the, it's Anne Rice, it's the book, it has substance, has great performances. Louis, you know, Tom Cruise has never been so diabolical. That's a great Tom Cruise yeah. performance. Did you know that Tom Cruise was an extra in the first Young Guns? He was on the rooftop during the final shootout. I do, shootout. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, and I, yeah, we're getting way off topic, aren't we? Right. I, I have a good um, way of segueing. I'm, I'm actually searching. It's like a game for me to find my way back to it. <laughs> yeah, well, so, somehow we're in Interview with a Vampire and Queen of the Damned. But no, okay, perfect. Let's go back to Young Guns. Um, yeah, we'll, exactly we'll kind of wrap it up. Tom Cruise. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so I think the difference between the first one and the second one is I think that there's more dramatic weight to the first one. I think the fact that it is a lower budget film is it has a darker tone um, separates it from the second one, which has more polished. It has Alan Silvestri doing this big epic score. The cinematography is yeah. better. The action sequences are, are filmed John better. John Bon Jovi. <laughs> bon Jovi, yeah. Um, I guess in the first one that they never actually choreographed any of the action sequences that they improv it so it looked more authentic. And apparently jump, a motorcycle just drove by you. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, no, actually, it was a Domino's card. But anyway, oh. <laughs> but you you know where you know where Tom Cruise is, right? Have you ever seen him in the film? No, I have not. Oh, okay. Well, I uh, I can tell you. You you, you got to look. He has a fake mustache on and a fake wig. Okay. He has like long hair and a fake mustache, and uh, we it, it's at the very end when you know they're shooting everybody. Uh, you know when Billy's popping out, and they're like, yeah, yeah. But it's before Dermot Mulroney brings the horses, and. You, and he he has one of those um, one of those jackets that has the um, you know those little pin things that are you know I don't know what you call it like like a leather jacket that has the little fringy things that hangs hangs off the sleeves. You know? Okay, okay. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. And the he, he's shooting at the time, and it's very like once you know that it's Tom Cruise, it's very clearly Tom Cruise. Oh, okay. I mean, he's a, it's a it's a it's a mid shot. So, like, it's like you can see his torso up, but it's just Tom Cruise in a fake mustache and wig and jacket, and Emilio Estevez takes him out. Okay. I, yeah, I'll have to look at it again. Uh, they're showing right now, I believe, on Vudu for free if you ever want to check these movies out. Same thing for Texas Rangers. And American Outlaws, I think, is free on Roku. So these are all available for you to watch just to check and compare. Um, the second one is still my preferred one. That's the only one that I own, uh, owned on VHS, which I wore out. Um... It just I had something about the click, uh, the clicking of the cast and the higher production values made it more, uh, I don't know, almost like a classic western of the 60s. That's another thing. The little bit of the uh, first Young Guns feels almost spaghetti western-like, in not in its scope, but in its kind of like tighter, uh, kind of grimier right. look. Whereas the second one feels like a classic, like, ooh, we got Panavision, you know, big scope kind of ideas that they're trying to do with uh, the second movie. It's a shock that Jeff Murphy never really went on to do anything uh, quite as good. I mean, I know they tried with Under Siege 2, but that was a giant ball of crap. <laughs> well, you know, it's not as good. I, first of all, I don't understand his career and why he didn't go on to become, you know, Rennie Harlan of the time. But... Did you ever see The Last Outlaw with Dermot Maroney and Mickey Rourke? Yes, I have. Actually, we, we uh, discussed it on the show a couple years ago. Okay, well, that's a Jeff Murphy-directed film, and that's actually, it's not Young Guns too great to me, okay? But that's a very, very good Western, written by the, the awesome writer of The Hitcher, Eric Redd. Yeah, that one's down and dirty. That one, that is a grimy spaghetti Western homage if there ever was one. That, yeah, but you know what? It's, it's like that's a good movie. Like it, it almost feels like that's an action movie that just keeps moving, and is about right and wrong, and the, you know, kind of the blurry lines between that. And, uh, yeah. Man, you ought to have Eric. Red. You ought to try and get Eric Red on the show. He, you know, he's all over social media. He's friends with my friends. Yeah, you know, no, we actually talked uh, a few years ago about him coming on the show, and we just never lined up. Sometimes it's my fault. It truly is my fault most of the time. I get this nervousness. Um, with talking to people in the business. Um, All right. After six months, um, I had to move away from where I started the show, so I wasn't in the same room with my co-host. And then I started looking right. around for people to talk to, and then um, just I, I started doing interview shows with people in the business because I had a few connections. And then I just started getting right. really, really uncomfortable. And I had one episode I'm never going to mention, at least not on the air, that went so boring and self-indulgent and negative that I just like, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. you were with them. Uh, well, I mean, I was trying to talk to him. And then I would, just, I would just sit here for 10 minutes while they went on a rant. And I would just be like sitting in silence going, oh, God, let's wrap this up. And I would. Right. Is, this, okay, gotcha. So I need to have people I can have a conversation with. Like, you're in the business, but 
you and I get along as friends first. This isn't like me. And like, we're both from. I mean, we both lived in Indiana. We've done time in Indiana. Yeah. Know? We have common. Uh, you know, we have common ground. Yeah, and it's it's. I don't. It's I, it's cool when we pitch projects uh, of the person who's on the show. But when I'm solely talking about their career, I feel like I'm just doing an ass kissing contest. And I'm waiting for right. Me. Well, and yeah. I, I don't even. You know, I just want to talk about young guns. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we do. We usually we get together. Um, actually, it's been a while since we did a show. I feel like we got so many things in the way yeah, for a while, fuck. like two years, I think. But um, wow. What, what, what was, what was I feel, uh, total interruption? But yeah. what was the last show we did? I think it was the Halloween one two years ago. My God, time flies. I know, right? Like, it's weird. I w- wow. Well, I gotta be on the Halloween show, and if Ridgeway's going on, I need to be on with Ridgeway. Yeah, I should be on with Ridgeway. Josh Ridgeway, director of Howlers, coming out um, that I helped him, you know, sort of produce and uh, yeah, I do a lot. I'm sorry, Josh, um, but yeah, uh, I, I want to be on with Ridgeway. I think we would all have a lot of fun. Yeah, we're gonna do. Um, so, listeners, if you don't know, every other Halloween, I get together with four or five people just different episodes and we go through what their perfect Halloween playlist would be just to give suggestions to people who, um, you know, they're looking for something new, maybe something that, uh, they, they keep looking at and they just keep passing it by. And, um, so he's going to come on this year. I'm going to have probably someone else come on and do a couple episodes with, um, cause I don't have a whole lot of time on my schedule this year, but we're going to do a couple of those new Halloween playlist episodes. Yeah. If, if he's cool with it, yeah, we'll do that. And we'll to discuss howlers and, um, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Ridgeway won't care. Yeah, yeah. And, and Andrew well, and I, we're going to be doing a werewolf episode where we discuss four different werewolf movies, and we're going to be plugging Howlers as well. But when does that actually come out? You know, I don't think we have an official. I don't. I, at least I don't know of it. But I don't think Ridgeway does either. I don't think we know of an official release date. Um, but that's another thing where, like, I kind of consider myself a, you know semi-aficionado of, like, why haven't I made a werewolf movie aside from Howlers? I don't know. Um, but I grew up and my dad, you know, was a big rural fan. And one of the first movies I ever saw was Silver Bullet, um, ever, like, period. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to talk werewolves. I love werewolves. I think, oddly, werewolves are the most abused monster in cinematic history because, you know, there's not a lot of great movies. There's not a lot of great use of them, but they're phenomenal, you know, subject you know i think it's the same as sword and sorcery films those two genres there are so much ripe material to choose from to make a great movie but you rarely right. get one and it always seems like so many cheap knockoffs that just don't get it right like the werewolf costume looks like shit uh the sword and sorcery is like low budget shot in argentina i'm blaming you roger corman for a whole decade of shitty conan ripoffs <laughs> yes yes uh, well, see, see, I look at you know. Again, we're getting off topic. And we should be. No, yeah, we'll I'm talk, gonna, we can talk about what we want. No, that's cool. We um. Um. Go ahead. No, but but just looking at it, I can. I, you know, I just bought the uh, Blu-rays of Howling and uh, you know mo- movies that are you know Howling, Silver Bullet, um, and uh, even Wolfen, which is you know technically a werewolf movie, even though it's kind of like wolf. Have you ever seen Wolfen? Yeah, I'm not. Too, I'm not too uh, fond of it. I see. I really like it, even though it's werewolves, but not werewolves. You know, it's kind of wolves. Um, I would put that in a good pile. Let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, we should have an episode where we talk werewolves. I do. I got a lot to say about. It. I got man. Bring me on anytime you want. And I got time. I got a lot to say about a lot. I, that's the thing, though. Is I always feel like you don't have time. That's why I do usually don't ask you because I feel like you're making a movie every other month. Well, I, <laughs> 
Well, and, and, and well, I'm trying. I'm either doing that or trying to do that. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I'm trying to make more. You know, my, my only regret in life when I die will be that I didn't make enough movies. There's a lot of stories to tell, man. It's 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 weird when you find yeah. a director who doesn't make a lot of movies. It's like they're so particular. Why has James Cameron? I'm, okay, I'll get back to you on guns here in a second. I swear. Why is it James Cameron is so focused on being a perfectionist? He's denying himself of creative work. Well, it's funny because you know here, here's a, here's my thing with James Cameron is I'm I'm probably the biggest James Cameron fan up until Titanic. Okay? Yep. Exactly I where Terminator I stopped. And Terminator, Terminator, Terminator Two, uh, Aliens. You know, like this is a, this is a phenomenal filmmaker. And then he gets wrapped up in his own criticisms, his own ego, his own popularity, whatever you want to call it. He's wrapped up in something, okay? And he abuses his his core fan base, his you know, loyalists, and his. Uh, I mean, to to me, the James Cameron that I know and love hasn't made a movie since before Titanic. Right, True Lies is his last great pop film. Yeah, yes, yes. Like, True Lies, it kind of stops there. And, you know, people are like, Titanic's a great film. I'm like, it's a good film for the masses. I get it. You know, and Avatar, it's like, okay, technologically, I see it. But as far as, like, just being a great film, I don't think Avatar is a great film. I think Avatar, from a story script perspective, is, you know, honestly, kind of shitty. Yeah, well, it's (laughs) kind of like, to me, it's... I have no shame in saying that. It's the equivalent of a Kiss concert. At the moment, with all those people around you on that huge arena, it's amazing. But then you stop and you listen to a lot of Kiss songs on its own. You're like, oh, oh, without all the audience and everybody getting excited and the pyrotechnics, they're kind of stupid songs. <laughs> Interesting yeah, concept, I, I would, stupid I songs. Love, <laughs> I, I, w- I would love for James Cameron to come back to himself, you know, and back. But look, I get it. Like, it's one of those things where, like, once you, once you get absorbed in the, you know, the sort of popularity and the... It makes it very. The more people you think are watching, I mean, I even experience it. Whether even at a different level, the more people you think are watching, or the more um, pressure pressure you feel. So, so you want to come out less if you can, or if you, you know, look at like Quentin Tarantino, even for example. Like he um, he can't come out and fail. He can't come out and do the the little grindhousey movies that he probably in his back of his mind wishes he could do. With Robert Forrester leading. Right. Well, why doesn't he just produce them? You can step back and say, hey, I'll sign a deal with a smaller company like Sticks or something like that. I'll give you five, ten million dollar grindhouse films, you know, and uh, I'll just put my name on it. He could do that. He could. Well, you know, you know, it's funny. It's like I met Shane Black um, at the Austin Film Festival. Uh, director, uh, director of Isolation, who's a writer I work with a lot too, Shane Dax Taylor. They used to live together. Him and uh, Shane Black. Anyway, so we met Shane Black at the Austin Film Festival where we were playing Isolation, and he was a speaker there. And so, you know, me and Shane Black, and well, we're all hanging out, and uh, we're showing him the poster for Isolation. And, you know, uh, you know, we're talking about my filmography and these things, and, you know, Shane Black, to me, as an action writer, it's like, what the fuck? Where is, you know, there's nowhere else to go but Shane Black, in a sense. Right. And I love all the Shane Black movies. But he's like, in a way, you got it made because you can kind of keep making movies, keep getting paid, keep doing what you want. And the fans are watching, but the pressure's not on you in the, the, this, you know, this kind of huge way where you live, die on whether you make money or don't make money, right? And I, I like, he put it in perspective in a way that even though, like, like, how do I put it? Like, 
in a way, like, I'm envious of him, right? And in another way, there's a part of him. I'm not envious of him. There's a part of me that's envious of him. And there's a part of him that's envious of me. We're never going to be whole, right? right. We're never going to have everything we want. We either want to be making Predator, you know, the new Predator, or we want to be able to be able to make our own movie and let nobody fuck with us. But there is no, there, you know, that's a ground that kind of doesn't exist. I think it was interesting watching me and, you know, meeting Shane Black, first of all, because I'm such a fan of his work, but also just like going, Wow, he thought he was going to be me, where he could just make a bunch of movies, and you know, they they kind of became like you know, the '80s movies that we used to watch, which didn't live or die on box office or whatever. They were just good or not good movies, you know. And he kind of didn't really get to do that because he, you know, he made *Lethal Weapon*. He got paid an amount that I'm very jealous of, even in 1988, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting to to see the. You know, we both, you know, there's things, you know, things he would like that I have and things that I would like that he has, like money, uh, <laughs> you know, but but I do think it's interesting to, you know, look at the juxtaposition of, right, but I don't even know how we got on Shane Black, but, but anyway. your output yeah. is uh, higher than his output, like he can only put out a movie like one, you know, every three to four years. Where your output's Correct. different, so there's yeah, it's it's always greener on the other side. I've made, um, I've, I've, made, I've made more movies than most people that I grew up admiring and liking now. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, your filmography. Now, the last five years has been oh, where that, that doubled and tripled over the years. <laughs> yeah, no, it, and, and it's crazy because when people are like, oh wow, you've made fourteen movies, I'm like, I have. Okay, well, and look, and some of them turn out better than others. Like that's just the, I think that's the the law of averages, right? Like. Um, if you do something enough, something's going to be better. You know what I mean? There's something. Right. But I still can't believe I've made as many movies as I have. And every one of these movies, the interesting part about it is I've went into every one of them the same, trying to make them the best version of themselves that they can be. Now, whether or not it turns out like that, whether it's my fault, whether it's the director's fault, the producer's fault, the budget fault, whatever it is, whatever the reason, um, I've approached every one of them you know, the same, trying to make the best movie that I possibly can make, and I think that's the—I think that's what everybody should do. And I, I wish I thought everybody did that. I don't actually. Um, but yeah, I'm always trying to make movies that are going to be, you know, people like me and you, or Josh Ridgway or whoever, you know, fans of cinema. I think we look back at a movie. You know, do you like Maniac Cop, for example? You ever seen Maniac Cop? Oh yeah, I've seen all three of them. Okay, are you a fan of the first one? Or, um, know, whatever. Larry the first Cohen one Cohen? isn't. I'm more of a fan of two and three, just because the budgets are bigger and the action's okay. faster. Though I'm insulted, yeah, yeah, but, but, they killed Bruce Campbell in the first five minutes of part two. You you spend that whole movie. And this is the thing they did in horror movies back in the '80s: is that they would kill a character that you right. liked, and all of a sudden you're like, well, then what the fuck did the first movie matter? You know? Well, yeah, and it's completely irrelevant which one you like better or worse or whatever. My point is, is you're a fan of a of a of some movies that are, you know, technically not considered great, probably aren't great, technically, right? Yeah. Like, but you can see the effort and time and things went into this, and it found its fans. A movie like Maniac Cop 2 found its fans, right? That's what I'm always trying to do, no matter what the movie is. Like, okay, I can't be, you know, Independence Day 2, which sucked, by the way. Um, but okay, I can't be Independence Day 2, but I'm going to be the best version of, you know, Daylight's End I can be. And right. I'm still very happy with Daylight's End. I oh, think yeah. that's not to throw Daylight's End under the bus. 
I mean, I think Daylight's End is fucking, you know. That's, that's, I'm, I'm going to say that's I your, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, that's like your, your high pole right there. That's the one that you need to pass, I think. I mean, not to put any pressure, but Daylight's End is the one that's no, like, no, no, no. this is that scrappy little film that came out and fought against the odds. And, you know, it just, it's yeah. really, really entertaining. And I'm trying to figure out how to work this back to Young Guns 2, and I'm just going to fuck it. I have a question about it once the, we'll, we'll the, end it with this, but... Um. <laughs> the, 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 the irony of Daylight's End is I made no money. <laughs> yeah, like, um, that's a shitty part. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. No, but I think that I think that is that tells a lot about money versus, you know, art versus... Yeah, comics, but you right? got to pay your bills, like, too. I don't go to work and... Of course. And think, well, yeah. that, you, you, you pay your bills with drive hards. No offense to drive hard and people who work very hard on it and don't you back and... Thomas Jane, these people that I love, but like I'm not gonna sit here and be like Drive Hard's a great movie. It isn't. Okay. Is John Cusack like, hiding? Is, is he hiding in all of his movies now? I feel like all he wears is a hat and shades in every single movie. Yeah, I mean, I you know I I think John's kind of um, I think he's kind of like Michael J. Fox if Michael J. Fox would stay working, but he hasn't for obvious reasons. But you know, I think he's just like you know I can never be the guy. My time has run out doing the things that I was doing. Um, and so now I'm like, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Uh, I don't think that I, I, I... Yeah, I get the feeling Cusack kind of is hiding and taking checks um, and being his own man. I see nothing wrong with what he's doing. I think we've seen Brando do that. You know yeah. what I mean? I think um, I think we saw... You know, Dennis Hopper's one of the greatest actors uh, that we'll probably ever see, but particularly in the past, you know, 50 years. And I think we saw Dennis Hopper do a lot of shit. Oh, right? yeah. Um, so, so I guess that's the thing. It's like, I, you know, I, I, I just feel like John Cusack and, you know, some of these people are on their Dennis Hopper phase, right? Like they're yeah. on their, um, yeah. The, the final, know, the final quarter. Well, some people walk away. Yeah. Well, try, uh, Emilio Estevez walked away when he knew that the movies, uh, were starting to, you know, they started showing up on TNT, they started going straight to video. You know, and that's when he kind of stepped away. And when he does do well, a movie, that's when he started directing. Yeah. And also, you know, I, I mean, I do understand it, but I also th- how do I put this in the best way I possibly can? Emilio Estevez also comes from the business. He comes from family money made by the business. Um, he's he can walk away. He he would have been. He didn't even have to be in it in a sense. Like his dad, Martin Fucking Chin, one of the greatest actors in the past. You know, like like. Uh, Dennis Hopper, you know, uh, star of Apocalypse Now, star of, you know, whatever. Um, and Spawn. It's a lot easier for Emilio. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's a yeah. lot easier for Emilio Estevez, no offense to him. But he just directed a buddy of mine's film uh, that looks great, by the way, uh, about, um, you know, uh, the library. You, you should look. It's called The Public. Yeah, the Public. I, I heard, yeah um, my sister is actually a librarian. She was telling me about it, and that's how I discovered. Yeah, no, no, it looks great. So... My point is, is like Emilio's still working and whatever, but he made a lot of money in the '80s, and he also, I mean, he wasn't poor going into it. You know what I mean? He's not like some of my actor friends who go into it with nothing and are, you know, hoping right. they can become stars. So they, I mean, he, you know, he could afford to retire. I right. Guess a lot of actors. No it just the, the fact that so many people live in LA boggles my mind because I feel like we're now in an age where you can make a movie anywhere, but also I'm not part of that business, so I don't know exactly how it works. But I think it's strange that it's still so clustered in one city when I feel like, why isn't there like a little well, Hollywood that's... everywhere? Like, why doesn't Portland have one? Seattle have one? Vancouver, you know, San Francisco. And LA, it's... LA, LA is still where it originates. Like, yeah, it's so expensive, majority, though. Like, you know, it's super expensive. But 80% of the money 
and the work is going to originate there. Now, you can be a local hire in places like Texas and places like Louisiana and places like New Mexico. Whoever follows the tax incentives, right? The tax incentives will always dictate where. Yeah, that's why nothing shoots up here in Oregon. There's hardly any tax incentives for Portland. You have no tax incentives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why. Um, But eventually, you know, people will follow the tax. I mean, I I know friends who have worked a lot. And I know friends who have moved uh, to follow tax incentives to get work. And, you know, um, I have a friend who, you know, a, an actor that I know, anyway, who just moved to Atlanta to book stuff, and all of a sudden he's on Shooter, and he's on, you know, he's on, he's, he's doing a lot of stuff that's shot in Atlanta because, you know, he, in Atlanta, he's, you know, he's the man. Yeah, right now, that's the hottest you know, city in the country right now for filmmaking. It's amazing. Right. Right. No, it's a it's a super you know it's a super weird. Uh, um, it, it, it's a weird business. There's there's no way to um, you know, there's no way to dictate what it is or what it isn't. It's like you look at guys like Crispin Glover or Fisher Stevens, and you're going, man, I'm convinced they're going to be huge. And it's not that they're not huge and famous, and we don't remember them. How many movies have you seen, you know, in 10 years? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, they're not going to get a movie made. Um, we're almost to the hour point, so I'm going right. to go ahead and wrap this up, if that's cool with you. Yeah. All right, plus you're cutting out. I don't know what's going on with that. But um, uh, real quickly, I'm curious, oh, what uh, do you think that Billy is reaching for at the end of Young Guns 2 when Pat Garrett is drawing down on him, he reaches for something. You see, like, a little beam of light. I still, after so many viewings, have no idea what he's doing. I don't either. Um, maybe he's reaching for a gun to shoot Pat Garrett and win. Yeah, it's so ambiguous. I was like, is he looking for an escape? I mean, if that's supposed to be him at the end of the movie, you know, the, the two pieces at the beginning and end... As the old man, somehow right. he must have escaped. So were they setting up like Pat Garrett was going to pretend that he killed Billy? I don't. I just didn't know what was going on there. It was very ambiguous. Maybe, maybe. maybe. I mean, obviously, this is a big, you know, this is a big potential theory is that, you know, Pat Garrett didn't kill Billy the Kid. So, I don't know. I don't know. But you, you know, you know what's weird is like, oh, one thing. Well, we're talking about Young Guns, not Young Guns too. I do want to say, though, that when I went to see Young Guns 2 in the theater before there were trailers, before there was, you know, before everything was given away, it was genuinely surprising to me that there was a car in the opening of it. Yeah, I I was thrown off. I was like, we're watching a Western, right? (laughs) Yeah, I, I remember thinking I was in the wrong movie or something, you know. A car drives by and then it's like, you know, then we see Rusty Bill Roberts come out and it's like, Getting your Cadillac to drive, <laughs> you know you're fucking, and it's like, I don't know. I mean, look, as 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 much as you know, we kind of wish there was a Young Guns three, or we, you know, if you look at Young Guns one and Young Guns two, this is an unflawed franchise in my opinion. It completes its story. I've, I've had a joke in my head for years that we should get the cast back together and have them as old Western heroes that take on the mob and call it old guns. <laughs> I'd lo- I, I, there, there's a part of me that love, would love it, right? And there's a part of me that would feel like, oh, fuck, you know, they made Die Hard 4. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's like, in, so, in some way, like, you know, we love Die Hard. We love, I, I personally love Die Hard 2. 
Die Hard 3 is okay for me, but not great. But by the time they're on Die Hard 4, I'm like, just die. I really you know, like 4. I have stop. to say, 4 is my favorite sequel. It's 5, the one with his son, that is so Okay, okay, in. okay. Lynn, Lynn Wiseman's is okay. I mean... Well, his, yeah, it's, it's, it's the way I look at it. It's like, yeah, it's ridiculous, but it's so heard, fast and creative that I kind of ignore a lot of it. it. It's fine, but I would be okay if they stopped it, too. There, there's almost like a fondness that they lose. Yeah, okay? well, it's like the Rambo films. They um, should have stopped after part two. They completed the story. They should have, in a way. But then, but then you know, honestly, I'm not going to say that the last Rambo was like a great movie. But I was super excited to see it, and I love that fucking carnage they created with that gun. You know? Oh like, god! Um, I remember I was actually getting kind of nauseous. Like, oh god, is this Saw or is this Rambo? I don't know what's going on. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I get it, but I was kind of like, wow, Stallone's back and decimating people. I feel like, you know, um, and now they're doing another Rambo. You know? Um, yeah. That dude doesn't give up and for it's anything. Like, well, well, of course. Well, and, and now they're doing another Indiana Jones and. Like, are we ever going to top the one with Sean Connery? No, no, well, I, I think, I think that's like, the pinnacle right there. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, like, like I get that we want to see new, we want to see these things, and, and and there's a part of me that like can't wait to see a new Indiana Jones, and can't wait to see a new Rambo, and can't wait to see Commando too, which will never happen. No, um, but in, in in another way, it's sort of like, are these things better off? Um, you know, left as as we remember them. You know, are they? Um, you know, you know. I think there's I think there's a way that you can look at. Look, let, let's sum this up in a way that. Uh, yeah, there's a way that you could look at Young Guns and go, man, I wish there was Young Guns four and five, and you know, whatever. And you know, we all have a we all now have a fond memory of actors like James Dean and Heath Ledger, and you know, people who were clearly taken out from us too soon, right? Uh huh. Um, if James Dean had lived, would he have gone on to do some of the things that Marlon Brando and Dennis Hopper did? Yeah, I think that about if Brandon Lee, Lee too. You know, would Brandon Lee be showing up in directed exactly. video would Rapid Brandon Fire Lee Five? No offense, no offense to my own filmography, right? But would Brandon Lee be, you know, uh, doing Blackwater with Van? Damme, or, you know, not, you know, doing Blackwater with Van Damme? You know, any other um, kind of thing like that? What, like, would we, you know? What would time, you know, what would time make them, and what would sequels make them, and you know, it's sort of, it's sort of like, yes, it's very, very unfortunate that we lost Heath Ledger with The Dark Knight, but we're left with Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. You know, look at James Dean. We're left with Rebel Without a Cause and East of Eden. Um, I mean, I think James Dean only made, you know, like what three movies? Yeah, um, just three. So, so you know, so we remember this guy very fondly, but we. And, and, and we remember Dennis Hopper very fondly, don't get me wrong, but it's like Dennis Hopper has a whole fucking filmography, and some of it's, you know, Rebel Without a Cause style, some of it's True Romance, some of it's um, Space Truckers. You yeah, know? I, I got um, the same thing with Roy Scheider, because that last decade was rough with Roy Scheider. The first couple decades were amazing. Right. Well, uh, and I still remember Roy Scheider fondly, of course, from Jaws and... Um, you know, and, and I thought it was great they had him play Thomas Jane's dad in The Punisher, you know. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, is it better to burn out or fade um, away? Yeah, I think and about I think that. that's a, you know. And that's why I was thinking about that Mila Estevez thing is, like, if he's going to show up in something, at least it's his, under his own control that he's very selective with what he does. And I feel like maybe, I think Kiefer Sutherland has always had a good head on his shoulders when it comes to picking projects. So 
but the one right. thing that bothers me is that you know Lou Diamond Phillips, and I don't, I don't want to say it's like uh, the racism in Hollywood because, but it just feels like the only roles that they would give him post Young Guns were ethnic roles, and that's not to say that not to say that you shouldn't take roles that speak about your own people. Well, 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 but, well that, that's why I like Redwater is because the I mean, yes, it's a shark Louisiana movie, but like it has nothing to do with his ethnicity. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's never like. Let's get the Indian to kill the shark or the Mexican to kill the shark. Like it's just like Ludon Phillips takes care of sharks. Yeah, that's it. That's so, what that's the way they should be casting it. And if he chooses to take a role that has something to do with his race, that it's his choice, not Hollywood only giving him that. Right. Right. Well, and I've always sort of felt that way about, you know, Van Damme, like, for example, do we need to reference his accent or we can do can we just not? Yeah, I know they did that you a know. lot in the beginning. Do you guys reference it in Blackwater? Out uh, August 21st on DVD and Blu-ray uh, and digital. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't think that we do. Uh, I hope I'm not wrong there. <laughs> I know I went out of my way not to do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we do. I don't think we do. Scripts went through, you know, there, look, there's things that have changed. Um, but, I mean, whether I'm writing for Dolph Lundgren or Jean-Claude Van Damme or you know, I would love to do movies with, like, Eco from The Raid. But I would love to do movies that don't go, oh, Eco is Asian. <laughs> you know, like, how about Eco is just a cop? Or yeah. a, you know, whatever the fucking movie dictates. But I don't feel that it's necessary. But they did go, that a lot with Van Damme. They're always, they're always, in early yeah, movies, yeah. they're always referencing, so like, well, he's a Quebec cop. You know, he's from New Orleans. It's like, can he just be, all right, whatever. I, I, the last time I checked, well, we're pretty it's, it's, mixed it's, it's, world now that we don't need to explain all this stuff. You know, not not to, not to like, like I made I made several movies with Cuba Gooding Jr. early in my career. Obviously, he is a black man. Now, we made no reference of it, even though when I was writing it, I didn't dictate it as white. But in my mind, it was probably white characters, okay? But when Cuba signed on, I never thought, wow, that's that can't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was never, it was just like a mental image I had versus what became. But it, I never really questioned it in any way or felt the need to, like, address anything like that. It wasn't like, oh, wow. In my mind, it was white. And, I mean, it was, it was white in my mind only probably because I'm white or, or yeah. you know, whatever. Well, it's, it's a voice like, in it your head. Like a, yeah. Right. Like, like, but I would never was like, wow, it's a black guy. I can't believe um, they're going to put a black guy in my white. <laughs> Wait, when people are losing you know? their mind over James Bond, I'm like, yeah, I get it. There's a long history of him being Caucasian, but it's a fictional character. We can do whatever we want with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and that's my thing. It's like, it, do, it doesn't really matter. Like if they're a good actor, if they're cool and look, you know, I, I highly doubt that Idris Elba is ever Bond, but Idris Elba's fucking cool. Like, he would be the second coolest Bond, maybe, except for, okay, I, okay, Sean Con, okay, maybe the third. I don't know. Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig's a pretty fucking good Bond. I, I gotta go with Daniel Craig as Bond over yeah. Sean well, all, all the, I've been watching, I've been watching all the Bond movies because we're about to launch a mini-series of Bond uh, podcasts. We're doing, like, seven episodes. Right. Doing, like, four movies per episode. And I noticed it's just each one has a different vibe. There's no one that's really bad. There's certain movies that are bad, but each Bond has its own particular voice. And it's just whatever you connect to emotionally. Well, and I, and I think that's kind of cool. I think that's kind of like the Mission Impossible movies, right? Even though they all have the same lead, it's all Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise. The movies are all very different. Like, 
you can't get, compare Mission Impossible 2 to Mission Impossible Fallout. I think Fallout is a phenomenal fucking movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, you No, see I haven't yet. I don't go um, to the movies anymore, really. And, I go, like, should, once or twice a year. Oh, fuck. You should see it now. You should see it in IMAX. You should see it on the biggest screen. This is one of those rare movies that I'm like, rush out to the Cineplex and see it. Um, I mean, even being a, you know, I'm not the, I I like Mission Impossible movies. I'm not the biggest fan of them. Fallout is a phenomenal movie. It made me change my whole, like, kind of outlook even on the Mission Impossible franchise. It's just so much better than all of them to me that I was like, okay. Well, it's just funny. You look at the roots where that series started from is like kind of a thriller. Like, yes, it had special effects and two big action sequences, but it's really restrained. And, you know, him shooting on a train, you know, at the top of a train. Yeah, no. And if you, uh, you know, it's like I watched Mission Impossible 2, which is John Woo, who's known for doing big. And, it's, and yeah, you know, the action in, in, in Mission Impossible 2 is great, but the script is pretty fucking silly and bananas. And also, the, the movie feels extremely small compared to the, you know, uh, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Oh, totally. Like, it's like, wow. They just spend their time and, like, they go to, like, I think there's probably, like, five or six locations in the whole movie and they stay there for long periods of time. Now they do extravagant things in them. But two is a small movie by comparison, mm. even with John Woo's, you know. Well, yeah. Well, if you took all the slow mo out of the movie, I think it'd be about twenty minutes shorter. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's crazy. It's like, uh, but it, but I mean, honestly, Mission Impossible Two feels like a completely different movie than than anything we've seen in the franchise. Yeah, I think I think the series has found its footing now, where it's it, the, all the, the movies are starting to feel somewhat connected and, and similar instead of just being a separate adventure every time um the the, the the fallout movie you'll like i mean it connects the movies it's the first movie to literally try and connect the films which is good because i think that some people just, people want that it, continuity let's just say and for, it just has yeah. stunts that are off the fucking chain like even from somebody who knows admires uh some people and has, has seen incredible things you know at play yeah. on even my own movies but it's like okay i don't know how, how the fuck you guys did that what I, what I always hated about sequels and, and this is the one thing that they could have done wrong with young guns is they could have finished it with just that one entry and then the the, the second young guns would have been a whole different cast like like, like you know the way we were talking about american outlaws it could have been in a whole different cast, and I don't think anybody would have cared. That was a curse that they did during the 80s, is they would have, like, one rotating cast member. Like, oh, who is a sub-character we can afford to get for the sequel? Right. You know, and, and thankfully, uh, you're right that Young Guns 1 and 2 are the perfect pairing. They didn't need to continue it after that. Yes, Billy may have survived. Yes, Alan Ruck's character is still alive. In my mind as a child, I decided to write outlines for Young Guns 3. <laughs> and... It, with his character and Alan Rock coming back, and I was like, that would just take away. So, you know, Alan Rock's character is the guy who was tempted to be part of that world, you know, kind of like an audience member. Like, he, was, he wasn't he was a pivotal character, but it was kind of like right. us witnessing, what would it be like? That would be cool to be like those characters, and then realizing the horrors of it, and going like, yo, I don't need a nickname, I don't need this gun, I don't need to be part of this world. I'm- right. Um, hello? Yes? Okay, you cut out for a second. So, so, so what are you saying again? Sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying that Alan Ruck was right. our way of being the audience member, saying it'd be tempting to be a oh, part yeah, of that yeah, world. Yeah, it's so yeah, exciting. Yeah. But no, then... 100%. 100%. Okay, everybody, it looks like I lost Chad. Uh, as you can tell, he was walking along. You could hear the shuffling. That's why you could hear weird sounds sometimes, like cars going by and the shuffling of uh, his phone off of whatever. Um, 
But his new movie, uh, Blackwater, is hitting video on August 21st. Howlers will be out in October. We'll discuss that a couple months from now. And um, that's it. Uh, check out his filmography on IMDb to see the rest of his films. Uh, check out Young Guns. Like I said, they're all streaming. And uh, we are on Facebook under Video Night Podcast. And you'll find all our episodes there. Wait, I think he's back. And is there anything else you want to say before we go? No, man, I'm, I think I'm good, man. Let's chat again come Halloween. All right, that's what we'll do. And uh, like I said, check out Young Guns, uh, the two films. And um, if you're curious, check out the other two movies we mentioned. And, well, technically we mentioned about 50 other movies, but you know what I mean. Um, and uh, Facebook, Twitter, under Retro Rock Entertainment. Judgment Night. What's no. that? I was just kidding. I said, let's talk Judgment Night. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, you know, I was going to bring that up. Because did you ever bring that up to Cuba Gooding Jr., how good uh, uh, Judgment Night is? And it should have been a big hit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I of course have. God, <laughs> I think um, so good. I think Judgment Night and its soundtrack are classics. Holy yeah, that and uh, I, I remember seeing the trailer before um, Army of Darkness, and like this is going to be the biggest movie of the fall, and it came out like the day after or something, like, really close to Demolition Man. I was like, well, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, snipe, snipe power. Yeah, uh, and same thing for True Romance. Oh, Both bad. got Snow murdered. <laughs> yeah, well, it's weird, but but like. Ultimately, I think that shows what, like, box office really means. It's like a movie like True Romance can come out. True Romance is probably my favorite movie of all time, for the record. And it's like, does it stand the test of time? Yes. Is it, was it a box office hit? No. No. You know? So, I, a you lot know, of, it is what it is. Yeah, a lot of movies, I've discovered that sometimes the biggest movies in the world um, don't hold up, especially the comedies for some reason. It's just like, of that right. moment, that zeitgeist, it captured it. The mid-level movies are almost always, like, they get discovered on video, cable, and stuff like that, but it's the smaller movies where there's this cult following that very, very and passionate then, yeah. about how good it is. And, and usually um, they find their way back to popularity. But Judgment Night is one of those where it just hasn't happened. It's weird you say that, but, like, I have a lot of friends. Like, uh, I guess most of them are filmmaker friends. Um, but they all remember Judgment Night highly, you know, and look at it and, like, look at it in an esteemed light you know um from a soundtrack perspective and everything i mean i look at it and i'm just like judgment night like what's not like what's yeah. not to like <laughs> well, i'm shocked that shot factory has not done a collector's edition of it which i'm curious about is they own the morgan creek catalog but for some reason young guns one and two are in robin hood prince of thieves are not part of that i don't know what they did they must have signed off on a deal with a different company that they don't own the rights I don't know. I want to see. I, I want to be. Um, I want to see loaded special features version of part two. The first one has a decent release from um, uh, Lionsgate, though it's a terrible print. I'm, that's what I hate about Blu-ray is that they won't clean up the print. I was like, well, what's the point? It looks the same as it did on DVD. Well, it's funny because like like I'm not a proponent for make, remaking a lot of movies. Um, I mean, you know, look, there are exceptions to thing. You know, um, I think the Fright Night with Colin Farrell was a very good remake of Fright Night that I was actually against initially. Uh-huh. So there are, there are remakes that, that work, but if, if someone said, Chad, we wanted to remake Judgment Night, I wouldn't go into it thinking I could do it better. Right. That's the thing but about I remakes. Re- they should I be would. movies that have something very interesting about it, some catchy plot line or something like that, but for some reason it didn't really go through the way that it should have. Those are the movies that should be remade. I would remake the shit out of Judgment Night. I would love to remake Judgment Night. Yeah, it's just... Like, I think that would be, you know, like, uh, yeah. I mean, Judgment Night is... 
I, I feel like if you remade Judgment Night, it could somehow draw more even attention to the original, in my mind, classic. That does <laughs> happen. Know? That has um, happened a few times. Um, well, you know, Universal has that direct-to-video line, the 1440 Entertainment that they do, like the Tremor sequels and stuff like that. And they've been doing sequels to movies. Me? I mean, dude, I made Jarhead 3. That's right. I forgot about that. But they do sequels to movies yeah. from a really long time ago. Like, they just did Tales from the Hood 2, which was a minor hit. Yeah, I can't. So don't be surprised if they come and to you asking for Judgment Night 2. <laughs> I want them to. Like, call me, Universal. Um, no, I mean, I, I love Tales from the Hood, the original. But I'm all about a Tales from the Hood 2. Like, let's bring it. The only downside to me, I love Keith David, who they got to replace Clarence Williams. Yeah. I just kind of wish... Clarence Williams wouldn't replace. It's no harm against Keith David. I just like Clarence Williams is such an integral part of Tales from the Hood to me that yeah. it's like hard to replace. Yeah, but, it's 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 kind of like the way yeah. with um like they did Hard Target two way after the fact with Scott Atkins with my friend Scott. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's I would not say that was out of their wheelhouse. And since you've already worked with them, don't be surprised they knock on your door one day and say, "What do you what do you got in the way of uh, Emilio Estevez sequels?" <laughs> I, I do. I, w- I wish they would. I would. Uh, I would love to. I would love to do Judgment Night to you know, Yuppie's Lost in the Hood. I'd love that. Or that, or maybe like you know, it could be a direct sequel, and it's like years down the road, and it's Father's Day or whatever, and Cuba Gooding Jr. and his kid are on like a trip to the city, and he's still apprehensive about going to the city, you know, whatever, and he's nervous, but he's gonna do it anyway, and then it goes to hell. I How told all of you. How can the same shit? <laughs> How can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Like you can probably yeah. get Stephen Dorff yeah, too. I now that I think about it, shit, we could probably call them all. You know, <laughs> um, well, Piven's dead, but okay. Um, yeah, you know, everybody else lives. A slap a goatee on Piven and just say, "Hey, uh, you're his cousin." Right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, whatever. You know, but no, I love it. You know, it is what it is. Hey, dude, it's a, it's a fickle industry. It's crazy. You know, none of it makes sense to me. Yeah. But yeah, Judgment Night two. <laughs> Call me. Original cast, new <laughs> members, I don't care. I'm in. All right. Um, anything you want to say before we go? No, man. I think I'm good. All right. Let's, talk, let's talk again before Halloween. We will. Before I can't Halloween. believe it's been two years. I, I'm really sorry about that. I didn't even think about it until just uh, today. Yeah. No, neither, neither did I. Time flies. You know, new president and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what we're all distracted by. We just can't focus on our work. Yeah, but. man. All right. we're, we're, we're distracted by okay anyway. and then all of a sudden yeah. everybody just goes I love the episode till the very end those sons of bitches I'm going the on Twitter end, and yeah yeah you lost us there so alright man well cool uh, yeah let's talk soon alright everybody have a good night